May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning, and may the words from my mouth be what we need to hear. There was a man named Peter Godwin who grew up in a village in Africa. He and his family moved there from Britain to Rhodesia when he was a child. His mother was a doctor, and they went there to start a vaccination program for the people of, of that area. And she, uh, she did, because of her, thousands of people were vaccinated against tuberculosis, smallpox, and some other diseases. And for most diseases, of course, just like the COVID vaccination, it was an injection that was given. But for others, there was, the vaccination was given by putting the medicine on a sugar cube and eating it. Well, Peter was a young boy at the time, and his job would be to carry that tray of sugar cubes and give them to the children. In the 1970s, civil war broke out in Rhodesia, and the family was forced to return to England, where Peter grew up, and he eventually found work as a journalist. And he was working for a newspaper called the London Sunday Times, and they sent him back to South Africa to do a story on the fighting between the Marxist government and the armed rebels that was happening at that time. And while he was there, he really wanted to sneak into Mozambique, which is an area that he and he had lived for a little while with his, with his folks. But it was closed to foreign journalists, and he was warned not to go there. Well, he managed to make it there. He snuck in. And after he got, got into that area, he was captured by a band of armed rebels. And they took him to their base camp. It was about a two-day hike to the base camp. And along the way, they beat him, and they would kick him. And then when they arrived at the camp, they took him to the base commander. He heard the commander speaking, and he recognized the dialect. And so... It was, it was that, that dialect from when he was a child and lived there. And so he began to speak in that language to the commander. And he said, how do you know our language? And so Peter explained a little bit about his childhood and about his time spent in Africa and what he had done while he was there. And he mentioned that his family's name was Godwin. And suddenly he said the the whole manner of this commander changed. He rolled up his shirt sleeve and he showed him a scar from the vaccination that he had received from Peter's mom. And then he also told him, I remember you as a little boy coming around with those sugar cubes and giving them to the kids for their vaccination. Just a few moments before that, he had been treated as an enemy, as a hated, someone they hated. Now, 
He was a welcome guest. They returned him safely to the area where he had been captured, and they even stopped to pose for a picture. I don't suppose it was a selfie back in those days, but they took a picture before they left. It's nice, isn't it, when good works are rewarded? That's what happened for Peter that day. There's another story. There was a 14-year-old girl in Cleveland, Ohio, who got so upset with her parents, as 14-year-olds do, that she decided to run away. And so she ran away to New York City. She was cold, she was hungry, she was friendless, and she was all alone. She's standing on a street corner one day, shivering, not knowing what she's going to do next. And a cab pulls up. Out of the cab comes three or four people. And as they got out, there was a woman in the group who came over to her and asked if she was okay, if she needed anything. Well, she didn't say anything at first, and she said, you look like you're hungry, let's go get some dinner. And so they took her to a nearby restaurant and got her a meal. And then while they were eating, she told her story about what she had done, that she'd run away from home, and now she didn't know what to do. She was out of money and had nothing. And so this woman took her to the train station after the meal, bought her a ticket back to Cleveland, and said, always remember these words. Whatever you want, whatever you want to be in this life, you can be. You have to make it happen. So then she gave her money, in case she needed some money along the way for food, and she gave her her address and her phone number, And she said, if you ever need anything, you call me. The girl went back home to her family. As the years passed, she thought often of this lady, but had lost track of that slip of paper with her name and her phone number and her address. After high school, she attended college. She went to medical school, and oftentimes when it got tough, through school, she remembered those words that that kind woman spoke to her that day. And she succeeded. She became a doctor. She became a surgeon. She married. They had a couple of children. And soon her daughter was 14 years old herself. And she was asking for some vintage clothes because she was going to be in a school program and they needed props. And so they searched through some old school things of her of mom's. And as they pulled one piece of clothing out, out fell that piece of paper that had been lost so many years ago. She took it out, and it took her months, but she finally located this lady. 25 years after the two first met, this kind lady, whose name was Jackie Burke, got a letter in the mail, and a check. The young lady asked that she accept the check in the spirit that it was sent. The idea, she said, wasn't to repay a kindness that has no price. Instead, she hoped that she would take this money and come and visit her family and meet her her children and her husband. Well, Jackie accepted the invitation 
and was welcomed by the whole family like a long-lost aunt. It was like she belonged. Jackie said that everyone should perform the simple acts of kindness whenever they can. Sometime, some way, they always, always come back to you. And I believe that. It's nice when good works are rewarded like they were in both those cases. It's even nicer when good rewards, when good works are given, things are given out to others, expecting nothing in return. A certain man was going down the road, the scriptures tell us, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and took everything he had. What was he to do? And so you know the story. It was a 17-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, and people were often robbed on this road. And so an unfortunate man laid there beside the road in bad shape. A priest passed by, and a Levite passed by. They were Jewish religious leaders. Now Jesus could just as easily have said that a Roman Catholic priest and a Protestant pastor walked by. It didn't matter. They were leaders, and of all people that you would expect to stop and help this man, they did not. They should have known better. The hero of the story, though, is the Samaritan. And that's really shocking. And the reason it's shocking is because that's more shocking than the two religious leaders passing him by. And the reason for that is because apples and oranges didn't talk to one another. Okay? The Jewish people and the Samaritans did not get along. And you did not help a Samaritan if you were a Jew. You let them, you, you left them of their own devices and whatever happened, happened. If you were a Samaritan, you didn't help a Jew. And then also, we're told that there was a saying in those days, the Jew who accepts help from a Samaritan delays the coming of the kingdom of God. So there was a very strong belief that these people did not intermingle and did not do anything for one another. And then even more surprising than that, to me, was the innkeeper. Innkeepers, of course, in those days did different things, had different roles than they have now. But can you imagine bringing a beaten up man to the local Holiday Inn, dropping him off and saying to the manager, hey, this, this guy needs to be looked after. Here's, here's a few bucks. Take care of him and I'll reimburse you when I get back. Uh, I don't think the manager would, would do that these days. In fact, I know he wouldn't or she wouldn't. Maybe because this innkeeper did what he did, maybe we could call this the parable of the kind innkeeper. Because he didn't know if that man was really going to return and reimburse him. But he still took care of this, of this man who had been hurt. The man was beaten probably needed a long time to recover. 
As you know, medicine was almost non-existent in those days. And our reading described him as being half dead. So this care would take a lot of the innkeeper's time, I'm sure. And it would be a lot of work, but he did it. And he did it trusting that the Samaritan would return and pay him, knowing that maybe he wouldn't. In our day, in the business world, we don't see that level of trust. They want some plastic or they want some cash, and they want it now. If you don't pay me up front, I'm not going to provide that service. The Good Samaritan, the kind innkeeper. This story, I think, re reminds us to renew our sensitivity to the needs of people around us. This story is a reminder to help strangers, yes. It's the kind of story that we can use to kind of wash out our brain a little bit. It reminds us that kindness and decency to other people are needed in this world. When Edgar Guest, who was an American writer, was a young man, his first child died. And after his child died, he wrote these words. Quote, There came a tragic night when our first baby was taken from us. I was lonely and defeated. There didn't seem to be anything in life ahead of me that mattered very much. I had to go to my neighbor's drugstore the next morning for something, and he mentioned for me to step behind the counter. He wanted to talk to me for a minute. I followed him into his little office at the back of his store. He stood facing me, put both of his hands on my shoulders, and said, Eddie, I know we don't know each other very well, but I know what's happened. And I can't really express what I want to say, the sympathy that I have in my heart for you having lost your child. All I can say is that I'm sorry, and I want you to know that if you need anything at all, come to me. What is mine is yours. Years later, Edgar Guest reminisced about that incident in that drugstore. He said, just a neighbor across the way, a passing acquaintance, a man I barely knew, Jim the druggist, may long since have forgotten the moment that he gave me his hand and his sympathy, but I will never forget it, never in all my life. To me, it stands out like the silhouette of a lonely tree against a crimson sunset. That kind of kindness and decency are what are needed in our world today. There's, that's a truth that we need to be reminded of. In fact, they are a necessary part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Why is that true? Well, consider this. There was an experiment that was performed years ago. An unsuspecting person was walking by an alley from the darkness. Someone yelled, help, help, it was a woman's voice. And she screamed that she was being attacked. Nearby were two other people who were part of the experiment. And as planned, they would ignore her cries for help and they would keep walking to see what the person behind them would do. 
the person passing by almost every time did not know what to do at first, and then once when they saw the other two walking past, did the same. They walked by too, as if nothing was wrong. They decided that it must not be a big deal if these people in front of them weren't reacting at all. This study was repeated many times, and almost every time with the same result. If the person, if the first two people walking by responded and went back into the alley, then that person behind them would do the same thing, would go into the alley to help this lady. If they didn't, then they would not. This is our cue about whether we should get involved. In other words, the most important person in any situation that requires compassion and courage is the first person to act. After one person acts, others will respond as well. But nobody needs to, somebody needs to step out and be the first to come out of the crowd. This is what Jesus meant when he referred to us as a light set on a candlestick. God has planted us in the world to set an example, to be willing to get involved, to respond to the needs of people. Not only do we respond to the human needs out of our neighborly concern, but we also respond as our way of sharing God's love in this world. There's a man on a cross who says this to us. What I did for you, you are to do for others. This is what following Jesus is all about. Remember, our reading for today is an answer to a question. A lawyer had asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what does the law say you're supposed to do? And he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, and with all your mind. You must love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. The priest and the Levite who walked by, they loved God, I'm sure of it. I don't doubt that a bit. They were probably returning from doing religious duties at the temple in Jerusalem. They had just come from Jerusalem. Doing your religious duties is a good thing. Coming to church is a good thing. Reading your Bible, praying, those are all good things. But it's not enough. Our faith is about loving God. Yes, but it's also about loving people. Doing good with no expectation of a reward. Doing good expecting nothing in return. Doing good as the innkeeper did. Following the Good Samaritan's example, the innkeeper's example. It's about acting with kindness and decency toward God's other children. You know that. Why am I preaching about this? We all know this. Because I think once in a while, we need a reminder about these things. We need to remember to be sensitive to the needs of people. Sometimes we look at people and I heard these words this week. I was talking to a guy and he said that he was going to be going to a certain big city where his children lived when he took his vacation. And 
I said, well, wow, I've never been there. What's it like? And he, I said, I said it, the pictures look beautiful. It looks like a real nice place. And he said, well, it used to be, but now the town's just littered with these poor people. You know, They're just everywhere. Tent, tent cities and all that. And they're just kind of, they've really uglied up the city. And I thought to myself that it's very sad that he sees it that way. When I think about those tent cities and those places where people are living, yesterday I'm talking to my brother at a family gathering, and he's a trucker, and he tells me that he sees people and talks to homeless people along his way occasionally and was talking to one guy just a week or two ago. And he said, he, wa- he walked up to the guy because he was living in his car with his family, and he, it was obvious that he was living in his car. And he walked up to him, and, he, sa- and he, he wanted to just give him a few dollars to help him out, help them out. And the man said, thank you, but I don't need money. I have a job. He said, well, it, it, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I, th- I thought it looked like you're living in your car, and I thought you could use a little money. He said, no, we have money, we just aren't able to afford to pay rent or to pay mortgage. You know, sounds like the guy was underemployed. He just didn't have enough. He didn't want to be homeless. You know, that's the thing that we often, I, I often hear. Well, you know, you don't have to be homeless. Well, sometimes you do. Sometimes you do have to be. And I think that man had to be. So let's be a little more sensitive to people around us and their needs. Surely there are those who take advantage. But by the same token, there are those who do not and are genuinely in need. And we ought to remember that God wants us to care for our fellow human beings. In fact, they are an essential part of the world. They are just as important as any of the rest of us. And they are part of what it means. To care for them is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Amen.